the pet. He spent a winter pushing his wondrous cock inside me on the crummy couch in his one-room apartment, with all of his cats watching. His name was Lyle. Lyle. The way he said it, with two syllables and a southern drawl, it sounded less like a name and more like the proper term for finger-plucking a guitar, which he was, in fact, very good at. He was my height, with yellow eyes, and his hair was curly and blonde. He was always slimy and nude. Lyle's cat harem consisted of Bibi, wearing the tuxedo and fancy sock, Esperanza, slender, black and white, and Cindy, a beautiful but crazed, long-haired orange tabby. My day job was to be a warm welcome at Dove's Junkers, a salvage shop which did not discriminate in the type of junk it pulled in. The job fit my only requirement for employment. There was no one looking over my shoulder telling me how to do it. An added perk was that a lot of men came by. Lyle was one of them. He was looking for copper for a bar counter. I already knew who he was. I had seen him before at the bar where he worked. Lyle was a big talker. He always said the same thing, that I looked just like my name, Heaven. As if I hadn't heard it from him before. As if I hadn't heard it a hundred times before. But he said it in a way that made me giddy. It felt very far from reality there, in his steamy apartment. It was compact, but bursting with books and vintage magazines, New Wave and Rockabilly records. Stringless instruments stacked on an old upright piano. It smelled like salt water. I thought I was on track to be awarded chillest girlfriend in the world. The cats were not my allies. At least not Cindy, who stared at me day and night with glowing hunter eyes. Whenever I came out of the bathroom, she'd be there, crouched behind the half-dead Dracaena, ready to chase me, claws out, across the room and back to my place on the couch. After getting tired of intimidating me, she would hop on the bed and begin her ritual of straightening Lyle's curls with her tongue as the sun crept through the window. The first thing Lyle did after waking was return the favor with a little pink comb. I cleaned his fridge, tossed his empties, sucked his balls, flipped his hamburgers, and paid the extra on his electric bill. And then one morning he turned to me and said that his lady's flight was landing at noon. Time to skedaddle. I cried, of course I cried. I threw a few precious and beautiful things. I flipped off the cats and left. It was over, as in he hadn't called, but I still showed up at the bar on his usual nights, 
and we'd play the old game where he'd pretend not to know me, but slid me cheap cans of beer for free. But now, instead of sneaking me into the storage area in the basement, his wrist jumped away from my fingers when I tried to leave him a tip. On one of these visits, I met her. I stumbled out for a smoke, and there she stood, just beyond the heavy wooden door. I recognized her from a picture, which had been posted on Lyle's fridge all along. At the time, I had decided it was his cousin or sister, but now it was obvious I had been deluding myself. She was swathed with girlfriends whose cigarettes twinkled like fireflies around her. They listened to her story with giddy anticipation as she leaned on Lyle's cabriolet, which was parked out front. Her words slushed together as she took quick hits from her Marlboros. She shifted her eyes in my direction. It felt like a spotlight was positioned at my head. She looked me up and down. Her red lips curled towards me. She reached her fingers out. I just love your coat. She stumbled forward and clenched my elbow tightly in her hand. Oh, so soft. She was practically cooing. So soft, so pretty, so soft. She finished her cigarette this way, stroking me. Her perfume was strong, the kind that got stuck in your nose and your mind. We blew smoke into each other's hair. I told her some nice things about her clothes, too. And every word that came out of my mouth turned me smaller and smaller. She ground the tail of the cigarette into the sidewalk and patted me one final time. Poor girl. I went back inside the bar and headed straight for the bathroom. I hovered over the seat, peeing recklessly just like everyone else before me, dropping the used tissue on the chip checkered tile. The bathroom had a floor-to-ceiling mirror hanging on the wall, and I stood there, with my pants half down, examining myself. I shimmied closer. My nose touched its reflection. My hip bones touched their reflection. I leaned forward and kissed myself on the lips. Good girl. After I left, I remember that I wandered around the neighborhood in the dark for a while. I found myself in front of his place. The wind was howling. I didn't intend to do anything weird. I just wanted to go inside one last time. I knew he kept a spare key and a little pineapple cup outside the door, and I knew they were both at the bar. Inside, Esperanza greeted me. Cindy hissed. 
I sat on the couch, the cum couch. Cindy hopped up next to me, and I examined matted fur and cleared her eyes. I looked around. The place was a mess. Dresses and tights and empty bottles of wine strewn across all surfaces. And ugh, the cum couch. I stood up and darted to the bathroom. In the bathroom, the litter box was overflowing. Poor girls. Poor girls. I didn't know I was going to do it until I was springing out of the bathroom with a plastic bag in my hands. I flipped Cindy over and she fell to the bottom of the bag. Her claw shot through the black plastic and into my arm, but I didn't let go. I noticed a little blood. When we got out into the windy spring air, she was still hissing and clawing at me through the plastic. Refreshing, isn't it? I asked her. Her meow was one of the most lonesome sounds I had ever heard. The streets were deserted and the wind was at my face, gripping the bag tighter as blood dripped down my wrist onto my bare knees. Cindy continued to hiss and thrust her little paws and claws at me from inside the bag, but I only held her tighter. As I spoke to her, I could feel all the little muscles in her compact body beginning to relax. For the entire two-mile walk to my apartment, I spoke quietly to her, repeating that soon she would be free. We're in this together, Cindy. We're gonna get what we want, Cindy. About a year later, I heard that Lyle and the girl with the Marlboros were packing it in, wanting a fresh start. They were skipping town and dropping dead weight. In this case, Lyle's gray 1988 Volkswagen Cabriolet. I convinced Dove to let me assess Lyle's car, and Dove took me up on the offer. I told them that if the moldings, trim, and decals were in decent shape, then I knew a guy. Of course, I didn't know a guy. I was the guy. I reached out to Lyle, asking to take it for a spin, for work purposes, of course. He said he'd swing by if I promised not to drive us off an overpass. I agreed and asked him to pick me up at my place. I made my bed and picked up my clothes for the first time in two months. 
I hid Cindy in the bathroom and lint-rolled my room. When he was outside, I thought I heard distant thunder. Out front, it sounded more like a lawnmower, yet looked very much like a car. Patchy gray paint, nice rust job on the lower half of the passenger side door. A couple hubcaps. The convertible top was stuck down. He popped out and approached me with his hands up. I thought he was going to hug me, but he just spread his fingers in that old alien sign. We come in peace. Sitting behind the wheel, I watched the lemon-scented air freshener swing. I turned the ignition and the melody of an old country song rose above the muffler. I pushed my hand against the warm, dusty vent. I felt good. I felt free for the first time in months. I spread my fingers wide over the emergency brake in the center console. He was now looking at me sideways like a crocodile. I turned the volume up and pet his wranglers. Poor boy. We went up to my room. He probably saw Cindy's comb, but I didn't care. I came quickly. Later that afternoon, we signed some papers at the DMV that stated he was gifting the car to me. The same way I hadn't told any of my friends about Lyle, I didn't tell them about the cat or the car. My landlord knew about Cindy. He didn't like her destroying his carpets, so I told him she had died by eating roach poison. I started taking Cindy with me on drives whenever I knew he would be around. Quickly, our drives became much more frequent. We stayed in the city or cruised down to the lake, Cindy seemed to really like the car, and I let her tear up the upholstery of the passenger seat as I drove us further and further from home. You're not a terrible co-pilot, I told her as little bits of foam from the seat cushion floated out the window. Just messy. Whatever the muffler was supposed to muffle was left open, and the car sang to me all of its problems and worries as we cruised around. Cindy and I drove everywhere that spring. One day, Dove pulls up next to me at a red light, rolls down his window, and fires me. I guess it was because I lied about the car. I didn't say anything, just drove through the red light. The rest of the month was hot, heavy. Convenient that the top was stuck down. There seemed to be a larger cooling issue with the car. It needed to be watered frequently. 
The temperature gauge was also broken, and about every hour or so, a little smoke would start rising from the hood. We took breaks in church parking lots, the side of the freeway, and under overpasses. As we waited for the car to cool, Cindy would sprawl out on the hood, recharging in the sun. I never once even thought of taking the car to be fixed. I just drove around, waiting for the smoke to rise. The first time I met Lyle, he made me a promise. I'm gonna give you something no one's ever given you before. He'd leaned across the bar, two fingers on my wrist. As I waited, I would recall the things Lyle had given to me. Was it that? Was that the really special one? Maybe it was the cabriolet. Or maybe the special thing was Cindy. Or the inspiration to leave. Cindy and I packed it up and went west without discussing it. She seemed to sense we were on an epic adventure, and she clawed wildly at the back seat as I sang along to some cassettes I had stolen from Doves, which played all scratched and warbled from one speaker on the passenger side. The next few days were spent collecting pamphlets at visitor centers for sites we'd never see eating pork rinds and individually wrapped pickles. We stole some cans of tuna from a truck stop and chased them with lukewarm Gatorade. I took Cindy to see the world's largest ball of twine. She thought it was lame. She took me to Wild Cherry, a dusty roadside shop for adults. I thought it was great. We spoke of Lyle only once. She looked bored. One night, instead of crashing in the car, I splurged and found a cheap motel. I didn't want to risk Cindy destroying the room, and I asked her if she wanted to stay outside. Cindy seemed overjoyed at this idea and hopped around my legs, rubbing her face all over my boots. We stood in front of the door to my motel room and said our goodnights. Promise me that you'll be on the hood of the car at 7 a.m. Cindy just continued rubbing against me, and I took that as a yes. In the morning, she was right where she was supposed to be. A few days later, we were approaching Santa Fe when the car made a pop sound. We waited in the dry heat for a tow truck and I told Cindy the dirty jokes I'd learned from Dove. It was all rust and clay around us for miles, hills and light air. Cindy sprawled out, even laughed at my jokes a little. The tow pulled up. The mechanic hopped out of the truck cab with an ice-cold XL cup of cola, which he rested on the hood of the cabriolet. Whoa, Nelly, good girl, good girl. He shouted at the car as if it were a rodeo horse he was mounted on top of. Did you try starting the car three times? 
Yes, maybe four. Well, well, well. Then welcome to Santa Fe. He towed me to his shop, which was just the garage of his little greenhouse. Driving there, the three of us sat in peaceful silence for some time. The sun was shining bright on Cindy's orange fur as she curled up against my leg. I found myself envious of her. I wished I could be that content. To doze off in the sun in the company of strangers. To wander off to find something to play with without saying a word to anyone. To come back just as nonchalantly as if nothing ever happened. To be pet. An hour went by. I did doze off. I woke up, book in hand, sprawled out on the sun-drenched bench seat of the mechanic's truck. Cindy's paw was stroking my neck. I sat up and looked towards the mechanic's garage. The cabriolet was washed clean, and there were hubcaps on all four wheels. I noticed an envelope on the windshield. I got out of the truck and Cindy shepherded me towards my car. I picked up the envelope and inside was the key to the cabriolet. The key was attached to a greasy keychain in the shape of New Mexico. On one side it read, The Land of Enchantment. I flipped it over and on the other side it read, Crescid Ayundo. It grows as it goes. I shouted for the mechanic, who was nowhere to be found. I looked up as Cindy leapt into the passenger side window and onto her seat. And we both understood that it was only me who could see her smile. The pet.
The Pet was written by Melissa Blumberg and produced and directed by the team at Gilded Audio. Our music was written by Brad Smith. I'm Mara Wilson. <laughs>